When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond Eon, or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbond8z.co.uk. You are listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. My name is Tom Butler, and as always, I'm joined by Brendan Duffy. Hello. Tom Wheatley. Hello. And for this episode, we've got a special guest, Natalie Jameson. Hi. I thought I'd make a change from the hello. That's, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good. Inject, Much appreciated. Inject some You're energy welcome. into it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been um, talking about Daniel Craig uh, for the last two weeks. We've done two specials on him, his life, his career, his Bond films. Um, and so we thought we'd bring someone in who has um, crossed paths with Daniel. Uh, Natalie, I've known for many years now. She's um, an entertainment reporter, writer, podcast producer, and the co-host of the Best Sellers podcast. And as you yeah, probably know, I'm, I'm also an entertainment journalist. And we've crossed paths many times over the years, Natalie and I. Yeah, but Natalie, in junket rooms. Yeah, you seem to have mixed in much more illustrious circles than I have in terms of access. I think that's fair to say. Um, because, I mean, that generally where it comes down to where you're reporting for, isn't it? Where, who, who you get to speak to. So um, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit and sort of give us a, a, an idea of where, where you have been working and the sort of things you've been working on? Yeah, so I have been an entertainment journalist, reporter, broadcast mainly um, for a really long time, like 20 plus years now. Um, And so when I first started out, I actually worked for a company that did syndicated entertainment news reports um, for commercial radio. And then after that, I went to Radio 1 for the BBC and I stayed there for a really long time. But while I was at Radio 1, I'd also do... Uh, reporting for BBC Five Live, sometimes a few things for BBC Breakfast, The World Service, Radio 4, Radio 2, um, kind of the whole gamut of the BBC, really. But yeah, you're right. It is certainly when it comes to Bond, even when you're at the BBC, there's a pecking order of who gets to go on set or who gets to cover the press conferences and the junkets. Um, But the premieres are a bit more up for grabs. So I've done a lot of Bond 
premieres. I have also interviewed Daniel Craig when he was in the throes of, of Bond from the start, really, So, but for other films as well. So I spoke to him for the junkets and for the premieres for films like Flashbacks of a Fool, um, The Golden Compass, uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Cowboys and Aliens, if anyone remembers that one. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a while. Um, but first of all, Natalie, before we dive into Daniel Craig, you've got a direct connection to the Bond theme songs I've discovered recently <laughs> from listening to your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I was going to pull that out as a nugget later on, but seeing as you've started with it. Um, yeah, my godfather, so one of my dad's uh, close friends before he died, my dad's still alive, but <laughs> his friend isn't, was Matt Monroe, who, of course, sang the theme from Russia with Love. So, yeah, that was my Uncle Matt, my godfather. So when I was really teeny, teeny, tiny, uh, we'd go around to his house and I'd do that thing of, like, dancing on Uncle Matt's feet at various parties and... I was too young to know anything really about Bond or ask him to sing from Russia with Love. Um, but yeah, that's my connection. So did this, good. did it lead you to you becoming a James Bond fan? Do you consider yourself a fan? Uh, I think I was a fan anyway, but if anybody actually led me to be a James Bond fan, it would have been my mum because she was the one that would take me and my sister to the cinema to see all of the Bond movies. So when I was a kid, we would absolutely do that and queue up in the days before you could book online and do any of that. Um, so we would queue round the block often sometimes for Bond films in Oxford, which is where I grew up in Oxfordshire. And yeah, I, I just will remember being enchanted and thrilled by those opening action scenes and yeah kind of that's where I, I fell in love with the Bond movies really and, it, and it's not stopped yet. Do you remember the first one you saw? God, I was trying to think what was the first one I saw I, I can't I can't properly I'm, I'm gonna say it's, it's obviously gonna be like a Roger Moore sort of 80s classic I mean Octopussy sticks in my mind for various <laughs> reasons um, I, I'm, it's, I know that you kind of have way more knowledge about Bond than I do but I think it's I kind of almost see them as separate genres within the whole kind of franchise because they're so different films I think you know each of the Bonds have brings something so different to that character and of course they're all connected and it's all part of the same same family if you like but they're just I just find it really difficult to compare and contrast you know something certainly like Daniel Craig if you're looking at Casino Royale versus Octopussy for example I mean where do you start yeah, <laughs> yeah one's got a clown uh, costume and uh, Roger Moore gets dressed in a gorilla suit and um, yeah I don't think Daniel Craig would do that no um, it's amazing you've just brought back memories of queuing up for the cinema it's kind of crazy to think about that now isn't it like going up to a cinema and not knowing if you were going to get in because you're in yeah. a queue and you didn't know how many seats they had no and yeah and then also queuing up for a film that you weren't the right age for as well um mm. and not knowing if you were going to get in and then you having to, to just... and when you get closer you'd have to like jump the queue and pretend you're in like the queue for the other one that was starting at a similar time <laughs> Yeah, that's um, yeah, just crazy to, to think back to um, yeah, what it used to be like. Um, good memories. I remember queuing for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade quite vividly. That was um, yeah. What for the when it originally came out? Yeah, eighty nine. You were what? You were seven years old. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to see that at the cinema, at the Ritz Cinema in Lincoln, when it was Fine. when it was a one screen cinema, and it's not even a cinema anymore. The, I, I don't think my parents took me to see any of the... Well, we wouldn't see the early ones, but they definitely didn't see Last Crusade at the cinema. Yeah. It's such a shame. 
Yeah. I remember wow. queuing to see the Flintstones that with with excitement. As oh well. yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not to be recommended. No, no. no. Um, although, so my mum, I think, was quite a maverick. Anyway, well, is quite a maverick, and she not only would we queue for the cinema around the block, she would take a full picnic like with a basket. <laughs> So when you'd go in there and she'd like pass sandwiches, it was only her and me and my sister, but you know, she'd pass sandwiches down and then you could just like nod and she'd pass like down the next snack and totally blase about, you know, not worrying about bringing her own food and drink because it was in a really obvious basket. (laughs) Was there hot drinks in a flask? (laughs) I don't think there was ever a hot drink. Uh, I think that would be a little unwise with small children, but um, the sandwiches were always very tasty. It's still better than taking in burritos from the place next door into <laughs> cinema. Well, the nachos, they serve nachos in cinemas. There you go. That's to be the worst cinema snack you can, you can imagine. Yeah. That cheese, yeah. so smelly. Yeah, quite antisocial, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also really messy. Like, you know, eating in the dark anyway, nachos is never a good thing. You always think you're being so careful. And then as soon as the lights go up, you're like, yeah, no, I so wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, right, let's back to bond <laughs> a bit. yesteryear um let's let's take it to, to the really simple levels of questioning when you come to bond have you got a favorite bond uh are you talking film or actor well let's start mm. with actor actor would be daniel craig that's good for this podcast it is because we're on the seas right and you're going to be here for a long time yeah it'd be a difficult one if he was your worst <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so is, does that lead on to your favourite Bond film? It is does. It, a Craig one or is it, one? it is a Craig one. It would be Casino Royale. Ah, oh, great choice. Mm. Thanks very much. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah, and is uh, uh, what about the second one? Is that also a, a Craig, or have you? Is it just Casino Royale's taking the top spot? Uh, Craig is sort of up there with Skyfall. I think probably next mm. after Casino yeah. Royale. Um, I haven't like come prepared with a top 10 if you're going to ask me to go down a list, but I'm happy to give <laughs> no, it a go. No, I was just interested, because we were talking about Craig, I was interested if your top one was going to be Casino Royale, then you went for, for your eyes only or something. But I've got quite yeah. a soft spot for The World Is Not Enough. Interesting. Um, yeah. Brendan? It's very good. A big fan. Very good choice. He's well, basically a fan of anything with Pierce Brosnan. It doesn't have to be yeah. Bond. Yeah. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's great. Um, and I also really like the sort of David Arnold uh, time zone of the theme songs as well, so... Yeah. yeah, the music for that film. I think when we discussed um, David Arnold on that episode, I think we talked. That's like the, one of the major highlights of that film, and even at that era, I think. Think um, David Arnold really brings Pierce Brosnan's three films after Goldeneye to life, definitely. And obviously, he then stayed on for two Daniel. Yeah, two Daniel Craig films, didn't he? Didn't he do? And Natalie, yeah. were you reporting on on Bond when Daniel Craig was first announced? To play James Bond. You know, I, th- I think I must have been, but I think at that time, I don't remember, I wasn't there on the banks of the River Thames watching him come down on a speedboat. Um, I remember seeing the footage, but I think, I, from what I can recall, I think that press conference they did was pretty limited. Um, and there was definitely a hierarchy of people within the BBC who would have gone to gather that material and I wasn't one of them. Um, but I did do the premieres. And I think the thing I'd say about uh, interacting with Daniel Craig and interviewing him is I think I remember the first the first junket I did with Daniel Craig so when you you know you queue up and you get your 10 minutes or you know in the good old days it would even for a radio interview you might get 20 minutes um, not like the three or four minutes of today um, 
And again, this was so long, well, I say so long ago, probably like 15 years ago. Um, so YouTube was around, but it wasn't used as, as it is now. So it wasn't really used by brands. It wasn't used as a promotional tool for big marketing on films. Um, so there was barely any footage that you could find readily of actors being interviewed, which I think most of us would probably say now, if you're going to go do an interview, or if you're going to look up and, and do something, you'll kind of watch some previous or some recent interviews that they've done. So I can vividly remember that first time going into a, a hotel room to interview Daniel Craig and not knowing what he was going to be like at all. And nobody told me what it was like to interview Daniel Craig. He even, you know, it just wasn't kind of talked about in that in that way. There wasn't that resource around. And asking, I had like a list of questions and I got through them all in like about two minutes because he did his classic monosyllabic answers. <laughs> And then I could just remember like getting feeling really clammy because I was like, am I asking really bad questions or like, I'm sure I'm not asking closed questions. These are open ended questions. He's supposed to give a full answer. But somehow, even if you ask Daniel Craig the most in-depth question, he'll find a way to answer it in three words if he can. And, and I, I'm, I remember that first time feeling like, oh, I think I did really badly there. But then as the kind of years went by and once you've had that first experience and now we've all seen interviews so you kind of know what he's like I actually really enjoy interviewing him and I don't think that he's uh I don't think that he's purposely grumpy I just think that's the way he is and he's not rude either I haven't found when you've done the interviews he just that's his way of conversing and it's just quite different to how I talk and ramble um so the first time it was quite a shock to kind of be like oh what what am I doing wrong that's the worst nightmare isn't it if you're if you're interviewing someone and you've got well even like even four minutes and and you've run out of questions and it's um yeah and you're just like what how how am I going to fill the rest of this time have you ever ended an interview because you've just run out and have you ever called the time on it before I see I think I'm probably too proud to call the time on it but I certainly I think that first interview with Daniel Craig I was again like you like to think that you're quick on your feet and you can just think of stuff to fill that time anyway but I think it was the the sort of double whammy of going through my questions so so quickly and I'd done quite a few interviews by that point I'd already sort of been doing the job for a couple of years and I just hadn't had anybody who was that abrupt ever before um so I think I remember it, you know, again, I'm sure you've kind of had this, Tom, you sort of get to the end and you're like, right, I'll ask that one more question. I remember getting to the end and seeing them kind of do the wind up motion that your time is up and thinking, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to try and like squeeze in that other one. It's fine. Do you, do you remember what that was for, that film that he was promoting? So I think one of the longest junket interviews I did, I think that one was for Flashbacks of a Fool, which I don't know if any of you have seen. No, we talked no, about it. It sounds interesting. It, yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I haven't rewatched that. So I don't know how it stands up to uh, a current watch with the sort of themes of today. Because even though that was, I think it was like 2007-ish, it was, there are some kind of quite meaty themes in there about gender and uh, relationships between young boys and girls and mums. And um, it's quite edgy, I guess you'd say in places. And and I think Daniel Craig did it because he was really good mates with the writer-director. So that's sort of why that came about. But um, I remember at the time really enjoying it. And 
being quite surprised, I think, that it wasn't as massive a hit as some other films that just didn't seem to have as good a story. But then I guess maybe that's the fate of those smaller independent films. Sometimes they just don't find that audience because they don't have uh, the big money behind them to push them out to the mainstream. So he was Bond at that point when you when you interviewed him for that. He and was did you try Bond, and slip yeah. in a, a Bond question? I imagine it's... I'm sure I did. Again, I was like, part of me when I was, uh, when you kindly asked me to come and I was like, shall I go back and re-listen to some of my Daniel Craig interviews? And I was like, I'm not quite sure <laughs> after a year of a pandemic that I've quite got the stomach for it. Um, but there, yeah, he, I'm sure I did. And I think the the tricky thing, which you've probably had as well, is that when you are going to interview certainly somebody like Daniel Craig or anybody who's attached to something that's very newsworthy it's that real split between things that as a movie fan and a bond fan i would love to ask and things that your editor has said you need to ask about this um and probably because when i was at the bbc likely five other different departments have said oh can you also ask this question for this program or can you also try and get this line on this so often you'd go into an interview with the most random set of questions anyway. And, and, and it's, I think it's just really difficult and it's really hard with those time restraints to try and make sure that you're utilizing every question and every answer when all you really want to do is go like, Daniel, can I just really talk to you about like this scene where like you nearly have to, you have to, you know, use the defibrillator on yourself and like, it's just amazing. And there isn't really a question in there. You just kind of want to geek out about Casino Royale and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's always difficult, isn't it? Especially as when they're speaking about a, a project that they're very passionate about and you're trying to steer the conversation away from that to something else. I, sometimes I think they find it quite demeaning. I'd say that they, like, they're another species, but, like, actors, I think they just sort of... <laughs> They kind of want you to stick to the stick to the thing that you're there to talk about often, don't they? Um, which is fair, I guess. But we're... yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult. But I think I think you know it depends on the person. Also, you know, some various actors I've interviewed over the years, the last thing they want to do is talk about the film because they're so bored of doing that actually, and they just want to talk about anything else. I've had some amazing conversations with uh, Charlize Theron about Roxette um, in the past because she just wanted to talk about 80s music and uh wasn't really up for talking about her film um which is fine with somebody like Charlize because she's really fun um less easy to navigate I'd say with a Daniel Craig he's somewhere you probably want to interview Roger Moore he'd he'd be happy to talk about anything just to chat you'd be with him (laughs) for about two hours trying to get away perfect yeah it's fine it's all good um I do remember there was a, a premiere I did I think it must have been for Skyfall. Um, so around uh, like 2012 time, um, lots of excitement in the air anyway, you know, year of the Olympics. And um, there was, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do remember because you were all Bond geeks too. Uh, there, were, there was that furore about product placement that seemed to have particularly ramped mm. up. Um, and, you know, the classic with him having a beer uh, because that's what they'd got so much money from for sponsorship and I again I will be interviewing Daniel Craig is then when you have to do it live on a red carpet which is what I've had to do uh, a few times for Five Live which is I think one of the most terrifying things um, I mean obviously aside from saving people's lives and and all that kind of stuff uh, but terrifying in terms of your day job because you have to not only sort of hold in your head 
all your questions, your sort of holding, all your kit and all your tech. And it's all been prearranged before that this is going to happen, but you never know an exact time. And so you're waiting on the time that Daniel Craig will finish signing autographs or do other interviews that he's been doing. And then also through an earpiece, you're waiting for Five Live to finish an item. And it's just that excruciating dance of trying to gauge how far Daniel Craig is down the red carpet uh, against somebody in your ear going, when can we come to you? Have you got Daniel Craig yet? And you're like, he's like a, probably about two minutes away. And then all of a sudden they bring him straight in front of you and you're like, <laughs> this, I'm, I'm not live yet, I'm not live yet. And it's just terrifying. Um, so you've got all that going on and then you've got to try and ask the newsy questions or get something uh, light and engaging from Daniel Craig. And with product placement, um, I remember just pushing him on it a bit and he was uh, got quite snappy because it was like, this has always happened in Bond. I don't know why people are uh, creating such a fuss about it at this time um, and kind of couldn't quite see what the, what the sort of anger, if you like, about it was. And then me being uh, probably a little bit too cheeky and high on adrenaline at the time, I remember saying, well, and he was like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, you know, we need to have this sponsorship to be able to make the films that people enjoy. And I was like, well, you could like negotiate a different salary, surely. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you want, you want, you'll get on the phone to my agent, will you? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> oh, and you can just imagine, like, I'm sweating now, just recounting. <laughs> and this is going out live on the BBC, so yeah <laughs> oh my god that's so terrifying yeah i'd like to see footage of that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> it might well still exist somewhere it was just audio so you wouldn't have been able to see my face but i think it, that's the thing with whilst it can be quite difficult at times to speak to daniel craig I, you know i i think that he gives as good as he gets so I have more respect for him because you can actually come at him and say, well, you know, if you want to talk about money and say that it's out of your control, then what about your salary? Why don't you try and do something different? Whereas other actors would walk away at that point. I think Daniel Craig is quite up for, yeah, okay, that's, you know, whether it's a fair point or not, he'd he'd give you an answer or he wouldn't take offence at you asking the question, which um, I'm sure, Tom, mm. you've had as well. There are certain actors that are really difficult to interview and then as soon as you sort of get a bit combative with your questions they can't take it at all which I find more annoying yeah yeah we've all had that situation I think um yeah it's difficult I I'm someone I don't I'm not going to name name but someone who's been in James Bond films as well I found that that situation with specifically uh like it's it's such a fine line that you have to tread everyone has to everyone's playing a game when they're being interviewed mm. and being the interview and it's really difficult when the other person doesn't play the game with you and it sounds like what you're saying is Daniel Craig is willing to play the game yeah I think he is and yeah yeah that's what you want that's the ideal scenario um when they're not willing to play the game or they don't or, or they're will willingly ob obfuscate like what you're trying to do then that just becomes you know they're paid to do this job right it's yeah. it, it's as important to the film well it's not as important to the film as the job they do in the film but like they're getting paid to promote it as well right so yeah i mean i do think daniel craig is an interesting case study if you like as in i was trying to think before coming on to chat to you today about other acting stars in films who become so intrinsically linked to the entire franchise that they are 
suddenly responsible for just because they're the actor. So even if you look at the Avengers, which I know is like a pressure point to even mention on a podcast, but I would argue that whilst, of course, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and everybody involved in those those movies and that franchise has a say about things, I don't think that Robert Downey Jr. would get attacked in a similar way that Daniel Craig has been for anything to do with Bond. Like any decision to do with the Bond franchise, Daniel Craig gets asked about it and is expected to be the authority on that. And if he isn't, for some reason, the British press seem to think that that's a real problem. And, you know, I'm sure he's invested obviously a lot in the films, but he is the face of it. I'm not entirely sure he, you know, he's not Barbara Broccoli. So it's it's strange how that's become so linked, I think, to him. And it might just be because he is so passionate about it and does seem to really carry the weight of the entire Bond legacy with him. I guess it's almost like being a football man. It's like being the England football manager, isn't it? It's like you're not pl- you're not playing on the on the pitch, but yet you are expected to have the answers for every mistake or every question that people have. Um, I never really thought about it in, in that respect. And it is, yeah, I guess that's what he, from learning about, that's what he was really worried about going in was that responsibility and whether or not he wanted to take that on. But again, it's like a job that you can't turn down, probably very much like the England football manager or any football manager, really, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, um, I think it's really interesting if you also look at, I mean, I was think, I was tr- desperately trying to think of other, and I'm sure as soon as I finish this, I'll think of loads of people who've done this as well. But, you know, even like Tom Cruise with the Mission Impossible films, which, again, I adore, um, whether you love or hate Tom Cruise, uh, you know, he does carry the, that franchise too, but it doesn't still seem to have quite the same weight if you like that comes with it that Daniel Craig seems to have that baggage and and, you know in even like Matt Damon with the Bourne movies you know so much was attributed to obviously Paul Greengrass and and others involved in that and I yeah Daniel Craig just seems to shoulder the lot of it which is yeah it is a lot to carry I think and to be expected to get it right and to have the answers for every decision creative financial music the lot So you've um, mentioned the, the, your two favourite um, Bond films, uh, or Daniel Craig, you said the first was Casino Royale, then Skyfall. And we were just going to have a sort of quick discussion between the, th- the, the all of us because we haven't really dis- discussed a ranking of Daniel Craig's films. Um, but where do the other two come for you, Natalie? Do you have, like, strong feelings for Quantum of Solace or Spectre? Um. Oof. I don't know which one I would put third and fourth. I remember being quite disappointed with Spectre, I think, more than I was with Quantum of Solace, actually. And I think that's because I was maybe still riding that high of Casino Royale um, into Quantum of Solace, which even though it was sort of muddled and long, uh, I kind of went with it. And I think because there was so much expectation maybe with Spectre of it was going to be wrapping up so much and it was, you know, supposed to be tying lots of things together... And I just don't remember feeling, the first time I watched it, I don't remember feeling as excited as I wanted to, even though it's got some brilliant set pieces within it. Um, yeah. And what about you two? Quantum of Solace has to be bottom for me. Probably the the opposite reason uh, for you, because on the back of Casino Royale, I just thought they dropped the ball a bit. I just thought they were, they were riding mm. high and to sort of slip that far, uh, I think it was it was difficult to take. I think I'm with you, Natalie. I think um, Spectre is the biggest letdown for me because 
I think with Quantum of Solace, fine. I don't really enjoy it very much. I don't think it's a great film, and I think it's got a lot of problems. But it didn't. Nothing annoyed me in it. I just thought, oh, it's not very good. But Spectre really annoyed yeah. me. Like, there's so many plot points in it that I just thought, that's oh, why have you done that? It, 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 there was. It wasn't just the script writing that annoyed me it was the whole thing so um yeah i'm definitely gonna put specter down the bottom now i thought about it thanks for uh, clarifying that with me it's... you're welcome yeah i think specter's got a lot of problems hasn't it but it's that whole disappointment factor that that came with it and the blofeld situation it would wait so you know fans have waited so long for specter and blofeld to come back and to bungle it um, you can make mistakes with the style of the film like quantum solace it's got some really messy scenes but it's not wrong it's not like there's anything you can argue with but spectre you can argue with so many plot points in it that it just ceases to be enjoyable and you're just trying to spot holes in it yeah i think there is stuff to enjoy in quantum of Sol- actually i think there's a stuff to enjoy in spectre and quantum of solace but um i think having thought about it i think i would watch quantum of solace over spectre simply because it's shorter um and <laughs> it's over more quickly but in terms of the top two i think i i think i'm gonna sort of buck the trend and i think i'd say i'd rather watch skyfall than casino royale if i had to pick one to watch now just mm. i just think skyfall is just such a great modern bond film you know casino royale has that origin story to it whereas skyfall has this sort of middle middling story it's it's daniel craig as bond not daniel craig becoming bond but as bond and you know with judy dench going out and with that score and i i just think it's i just think it's a fantastic film so it just slightly edges casino royale for me so um, you're saying it's his it's very emotional yeah. gold finger is that what you're saying yeah let's put it like that yeah let's put yeah. it like that and it's got the db5 in it right so um can't go wrong so that's the um that's the official ranking obviously if you want to email in the show and let us know your thoughts on this i can't see there's going to be many arguments against what we've said i um, do want to hear from the people that put quantum solace or spectre number one that'd be interesting there's been a lot of lot of discussion around quantum of solace recently and sort of people retrospectively you know saying it's better than it than it was but it's got a lot of plot holes in it and a lot of plotting mm. issues and stuff that doesn't get resolved that um to me isn't just like it's not that you're not enjoying it it's just that it's a badly made film and you know it's beset with problems like simon brew mm. said on that episode it was it was hampered by the writer's strike it was yeah. hampered by the the short window that it was given to be produced in so um yeah, yeah. that's all there is to say on that one so so with the upcoming no time to die I have. I'm sure you've had this discussion. Is it no time to die, or is it no time to die? <laughs> the comma. Is there a comma in there? <laughs> yeah. We haven't had this discussion. No. <laughs> no. Have you not? This was the first thing that when, when that title was first revealed, I was like, oh, but is it like no, like Mr. Bond, time well, to die? Or I think is if we, it if we no started the podcast die? like two years ago, we might have been really excited and like, done loads of talks about what does it mean or what. what but now we're just like, we're not talking about it at all until we see some <laughs> yeah. evidence that it's going to exist. <laughs> well, look, the um, the marketing machine will, will ramp up again. There is discussion, though, Natalie, that the no, it's called No Time to Die because um, Rami Malek is playing Dr. No or a version of Dr. No. And that's why it's called No Time to Die. But that's way too on the nose, right? Well, you say that, but Spectre was meant to... People talked about, oh, it's called Spectre. It can't just mean it's about Blofeld and Spectre. It's got to be like a subtext and stuff. So it wouldn't surprise... And, and I'd actually prepare myself for the fact that it might just be that. It's just about Doctor No. And it's a you know cheap cheap use of the character like Spectre was. 
And he's probably his uncle or something. Yeah. Nephew. <laughs> Maybe. As we've talked before, though, the, it really could make or break. And I don't think it's going to make or break Daniel Craig's legacy because I think his legacy is secure as uh, in the Bond world. But I yeah. think with maybe with hardcore fans it might be the making or breaking of him because i know there is a lot of division around his his era of the of the james bond films mm. um it just yeah. needs to be better than quantum and spectre to 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 be all right it has to be passable and enjoyable but if it's worse than spectre and more ridiculous than spectre then it's going to be a problem but i think i mean i know it's it's redundant in some ways talking about it because it's hopefully going to come out soonish um but i do have a lot of faith in phoebe waller bridge mm-hmm. So that I think, and also I think that even if the film as a whole isn't incredible and like the best thing ever, I am confident that there will be enough brilliant set pieces with crackling dialogue that will hold it up high, I think. So he, yeah. does, he doesn't just, just do Bond. Natalie, what, what would you say is your favourite non-Bond, Daniel Cray? Oh, well, Cowboys and Aliens, obviously. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> um <laughs> I'm just looking down his list of films which one You know I didn't I quite liked The Golden Compass I'm not going to put that as his best one um I think it's really difficult because obviously you know I know I get now why often creative people often say oh my favorite one is like the last one I wrote or the last thing I saw or the last thing I was in and so it's hard not to move on much from Knives mm. Out um yeah because he's just so good as Benoit Blanc and the accent and, you know, the whole kind of, his whole demeanour in that film is just genius. And I love it. And it, and it kind of, it crystallises for me, again, just how playful I think Daniel Craig has always been, but I think maybe has struggled for the world to always see that for whatever reason, either, you know, because he's not as as great at, you know, doing banter if you like um but also maybe because he's always worried about that bond baggage that he's carrying but yeah knives out is is one of the best i think if not his best but yeah as outside of bond what I about think you guys we, we agreed on that didn't we when we di- discussed it it's certainly mine yeah oh yeah definitely yeah yeah what do you think about the um the the ne- are you excited about the new ones coming out yeah yeah with like everyone <laughs> in it <laughs> Have you any fears that it's becoming part of like a streaming system that it might lose a bit of the quality that we've seen from the first one? Or do you think it's going to get better? I am. I like Ryan Johnson anyway. Um, I'm a fan of his work. So I I think there's a really good team around it. I think it's, I think if anything, and to be honest, this probably like goes for No Time to Die or No Time <laughs> to Die, um, is... It's just the timing, um, you know, I, I, th- I think it is true that it's, it's easy to forget that people in the film industry, most of them go into it because, like us, they're movie fans. That's why they wanted to create um, films. So nobody particularly goes into a, a film to make a bad one. I just think there can be circumstances that are sometimes outside of your control or that you're unable to to sort of, you know, rally round and make it exactly as you'd want so I, I think it's it's tricky with the timing of obviously 2020 and that being such a difficult year for so many reasons and whether that's meant that sometimes people have spent too long on the writing so you've kind of overwritten things sometimes or 
you know, if you've had a shorter window to do something, so some of those limitations can actually be creatively really fulfilling. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's good people involved. You know, the the next knives out. Um, I think hopefully sound sound good and and fun, and, and I think hopefully we won't go into it just ready to tear it down <laughs> if it's not quite up there as knives out. I think I've got to, uh, this. I think Ryan Johnson. I've true faith in him that he he wouldn't have set up to do it without having a great script um to do it with because i think he's sort of yeah very uh very hot on on making sure everything's right before he starts the other thing i quite like is it's got a whole new location and a whole new cast i think that's the perfect Mm. way to do it you know take benoit blanc take him out put him in a completely new situation and it's leagues apart i think it's set on an island in greece isn't it and it's just an island um it's basically the bond model isn't it yeah um, put him in a whole new adventure, and then and then the other thing that I quite like is that he said that they're not delving into Benoit Blanc's backstory. It's not to build on him. It's not to build on the um, you know uh, expand his world any further. It's just about a new mystery that he's got to solve, which I think is the right way to go about it. Because I think mm-hmm. if you start building the world around like you know what this person's house looks like and what school they went to and their past and all that sort of stuff, I think you start to lose. A little bit of the magic like you don't like we never really learn much more about indiana jones and like his his past apart from when his father came in yeah. but um yeah so well, that, hopefully we won't no i, I outside <laughs> of but did we talk about this on the other episodes i think outside of bond i think layer cake i think is is you know the one yeah, that really announced him and i would always say is, is a great and also the um truman capote one uh infamous i think he's yeah. fantastic in that and i think around that time he was doing a lot of sort of supporting roles that be interesting to see him to go to go back to i think um is it crass to uh say that i also really enjoyed his role with the queen her majesty for the 2012 <laughs> olympics no that was excellent yeah yeah we talk about that quite a bit actually in the yeah. podcast. <laughs> you know it's it's it was just so fun and and i can only imagine what it must have been like to be in that room with that set of people while that was being made so when we spoke about Danny Boyle on the podcast, we talked about uh, the Queen had basically agreed to do it because she thought it'd be fun for the people that she worked with to do it. Like, she thought it'd be fun for them to meet James Bond, uh, which <laughs> when you think she's the Queen, it's like, that's yeah. that's quite quite funny, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I mean, I was I was looking back to um, sort of previous times when I have spoken to Daniel Craig and there, around the time of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, there's a quote that I found on something that I clearly wrote up as well as just did the radio version of, um, where Daniel Craig was talking about working with uh, directors like David Fincher and obviously Sam Mendes. And he was just saying he's always wanted to work with these people and that the opportunities are there. So I'm taking them in a couple of years time. It might not be the same way. Um, So it kind of gives an insight, I think, to how he must always be wary that certainly in the UK where we can be particularly harsh, I think that it doesn't take much to cut you down. So, you know, obviously, I think with No Time to Die, he wants to make it as good as he can to build on that legacy and to go out strong. Um, And I don't think either way, I don't think it's going to affect his career at this point. I think he'll continue to make interesting choices. Um, So yeah, I, I, I just kind of hope that it's more freeing for him, I suppose, once that's gone. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him producing films from, from here, because from what I understand, you know, he got very well paid for Spectre and, probably for Skyfall and now for Knives Out like I read that he's set to make 30 million or something from being in those films 
and I think that's like where the, going the Robert Downey Jr. route, producing things where, rather than maybe starring in in as much stuff, which would be interesting to see where he goes because he's pro- yeah he's produced the last two Bond films, I think, hasn't he? Always been exec producer on them. Yeah, I think so. And again, I think that title is really interesting. I remember speaking a couple of years ago to. Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba with a TV series that they're developed and that they were starring in and their exec producers on as well and they were both quite candid about saying how you know back in the day it was more of a vanity thing purely you could ask to be an exec producer but it was just so that you could get an extra credit on the film so literally your your name would be seen again and, and it would improve your status in some circles in Hollywood Whereas now, I think if you are an actor who also has an exec producer credit, you are grafting too. you are doing that work and you are, you know, really shaping what that project's going to be. So, yeah, I think you're right, Tom. I think uh, that could be really interesting to see what Daniel Craig does next. Talking of um, interviews, have you interviewed any of the other Bonds, Natalie, in your line of work? I don't think I did the Mamma Mia premiere so i haven't done brosnan which is a shame or have i done brosnan have i done brosnan hold on a second let me just i think i might have done brendan's eyes are lighting up here that's (laughs) all he cares about (laughs) sorry um i know it sounds really lame to say honestly my memory is shocking um and uh yeah uh i definitely haven't spoken to roger moore dalton don't think i've done dalton he's very hard to get hold of i think (laughs) yeah super hard um and sean connery again like pretty elusive really and certainly latterly um so yeah let me see now did i see brosnan at something else god he's had such a varied cast of movies since um since bond hasn't he he's had some interesting i haven't films, done a yeah. jungle with him mm, he has i mean again i'm quite a, a fan of the percy jackson film so he was in one mm-hmm. of those as well uh you know i I think I might have done a premiere for The Tailor of Panama. Interesting. Hmm. That was a good... Um... Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Jeffrey Rush was in the UK around that film. And I remember speaking to him and I think Brosnan was around for the premiere, I think. Um, so I'm sorry that I don't have a sparkling anecdote of how great it was. But I, I think we can we all know it would have been brilliant, right? It's Brosnan. So, yeah, of course, it would yeah. have been... Every answer would have been uh, just fantastic and funny and we would have been lifelong buddies. So, yeah. <laughs> so, who, who's the, the best person you've ever interviewed in, in, you know, in your line of work? Um, there's lots. Uh, the Streep is great. Um, Meryl Streep's amazing, <laughs> I think, for... Um, just being so, I know it sounds really obvious, just being so normal. So I think you can often gauge what somebody's going to be like. And this often does come with age, I think, too, of when you walk into a room and how many other people there are around in that room. And Meryl Streep and Helen Mirren actually actively ushered out anybody who was in the room. So even though usually there'll be somebody timing it or somebody... um, you know, just an assistant or somebody from the production company or from the agent, uh, just kind of keeping tabs on everything. And they probably are doing that elsewhere. But for sometimes doing the radio ones as well would be great because you would, there wouldn't even be cameras in there. So they'd just make sure that everybody else left the room. And then you're just sitting on a sofa in a five-star hotel room with Meryl Streep or Helen Mirren and just having like a, just a really great chat. And and those are the best ones because you you really feel you can ask anything because 
they're so open and they're so welcoming. Um, so that's great. Uh, Dolly Parton. Um, wow. Amazing. Very underrated, in my personal opinion, as a film actress as well, I think. Um, I love so many of Dolly's films. Um, my favourite fact about chatting to Dolly was that in between touring and writing songs and being so prolific in many aspects of her career, she'd just like pile into her massive RV with her husband, Carl, and they'd drive around the States and then park up somewhere and watch CSI. <laughs> <laughs> of all the shows. So who doesn't want to do that with Dolly Parton? Who wouldn't? Which is great. Um, Anthony Horowitz, um, he, he's got a new book, Bond book coming out, his third Bond book. Um, did he tell you anything about it? Uh, I'm actually interviewing him again in a couple of weeks' time. So do you Ooh. want me to ask specifically for you? Yes. Ask him if you spoke to Piers Brosnan as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so I spoke, I've spoken to Anthony Horowitz a couple of times. So, yeah, you kindly mentioned um, I also co-host a podcast called Bestsellers, which obviously I'd recommend, uh, where we speak to authors um, and just get to really sort of going deep on their writing and yeah it's just brilliant um and Anthony Horowitz I spoke to about a year ago so in the middle of 2020 and yeah he's, he's pretty open about talking about James Bond he really enjoyed the process of of writing those stories and I think it was just waiting for the powers that be to green light the next one but Anthony Horowitz always has stories to tell and you know, I think he's pretty ready to go as soon as as soon as he can, really. And again, is very respectful, I think, of the franchise, too. And um, if you do ever interview him and speak to him on uh, Zoom or Google Meets or a similar thing to how we're doing now, his office is in front of you can kind of see the desk and there's a bookcase behind him. But in classic spy movie style, the bookcase is a fake door. Well, it's not a fake door. It's a door. <laughs> So it leads, it sort of opens out and leads up to a secret room upstairs. Amazing. When he was on the bestsellers podcast, um, he said that also he had a full set of Ian Fleming novels on the shelves as well. So it sounds like he's a real, um, a true, uh, a true Bond aficionado. So he has got a new book coming out next year. Um, So you're, you're not interviewing him for that though, right? Not for the Bond one, no. I'm interviewing for his next um, crime thriller that's coming out. But I'll, I will ask about Bond and I will report back um, if there's anything there. I think on, on the Bond books as well. So my husband has read pretty I think he's read all of them now. But there was a time period where we would have to, wherever we were, we'd have to go into uh, the charity shop and see if there was the specific um, version of the Ian Fleming novels that he was collecting. So he's almost got all of them, but I think he's kind of read pretty much all of them i've tried to read read some of them they're just a bit too misogynistic i think for me <laughs> um i can't quite get past some of that in the novel form and i, I think the first kind of couple of times you were like oh that's kind of oh it's so funny it's so like 1960s 1950s um and then you're like yeah you know what it's just not funny now whereas you can sort of play a bit more with it i suppose on film so has he collected all of them now? No, he's, he's still looking for some in the charity shops. I feel like I should know this. And clearly I've been slacking in the present <laughs> department of late. Um, 
but I don't think he's got quite the full set, but I think he either kind of gave up and got bored of looking for them, or it's not something that he's uh, actively encouraged of late. Um, you, before we came on, you were telling us that you've introduced your children to the James Bond film. I'm very curious mm. to to know how that's gone and like what was the process with choosing the right ones to show them? Well, so there was a classic... My so my daughter is now 12 and my son is now eight. And uh, so last year, was it a couple of years ago? So I think, I think a couple of years ago, so when my daughter was about 10. We didn't know, we were staying at a friend's house on New Year's and uh, their son put on Diamonds Are Forever. So her first fil- Bond film that she enjoyed or said she enjoyed and watched all the way through was Diamonds Are Forever. Um, but having said that, she hasn't then come to us and said, oh, what else can I watch? Which is what does happen if it's something she really likes. Like we did all the Marvel movies last year with them and they were so excited for those. And then my son, again, around Christmas, I mean, it's Bond, Christmas, New Year, right? That's kind of when you happen to sit down and watch a lot of these things. We put on Live and Let Die for him to watch and he just found it really slow and wasn't engaged with it at all and we kept doing that thing of like oh but like the next bit's really good you just got to say for like this next scene and um it just wasn't quite pacey enough uh and then trying to explain things like oh no like that woman's not really in the cupboard she was a joke (laughs) (laughs) there are lots of things that get quite hard to explain to a seven-year-old at the time are you basically using this to get tips for trying to get your kids involved Bulla? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm trying to figure out what the correct age is. I feel like, I think the age is now old. I think people discover films older now, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I watched Jaws I when I was like an infant and like it was just on TV. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now it's like, because kids can put whatever they want on TV, it's like it's they're less likely to stumble across something they probably should So how old are your kids now? forced, weren't you, to watch whatever was on? Yeah, so they're my, uh, six and three are my two daughters. So mm. um, I think they're a while off watching any yet. But I think something like, you know, The Spy Who Loved Me might, might be a fun one to start with. Um <laughs> because it's paper yeah. paste and but you've been planning this <laughs> yeah you've been sat working out which is going to be the best film to get them involved which one could it be but i don't think the daniel craig ones are ones to show children uh, straight away oh, yeah. i think they're a bit too um a bit too yeah i mean even so even my my 12 year old who you know is, is quite up for watching various things the meg is one of her favorite films uh, after we introduced her to that last year um, and in the process terrified the younger child who probably shouldn't have been in the room. But it's it's fine, he didn't watch all of it, and it's all right. Um, and my daughter has now watched Jaws as well, and again, loved that. But before coming on here, I was like, oh, should we all sit down and watch Casino Royale again? I was like, I want, you know, want you to see it. And then I was just looking again, and, you know, like the BBFC is such a good resource for just, like, double-checking what are the things that did or didn't get passed on the ratings. And I'd forgotten or hadn't, re- yeah, I just hadn't recalled that... Casino Royale was originally a 15 or it was certainly classified as that. And then they had to tone down the torture scene in particular to make it get that 12A rating. Um, And I think even when you sort of look at it in black and white on a screen, when you're trying to check it to see if it's okay for your kids, you're like, oh yeah, that the torture scene. Yeah. What conversations are we going to have after that one? And it's, it is so, I think it's still quite prolonged. Um, And yeah, I mean, and, and even like the, I don't know, the, some of my favourite scenes in that film it are very complex. So, you know, Vesper Lind crying in the shower um, and just the, the the tension, I think, 
it's so, it's so pacey, Casino Royale, and it's so suspenseful in a good way if you really love movies. But I'm sure you're thinking as well, Tom, I, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to blow it too soon um, and scare them so then they don't want to come back to it and really enjoy them. Um, and I speak as somebody who was shown Carrie when I was 11, I think, by my older sister and terrified. But obviously it's a great film and I watch it now. But yeah, it took me a while to get over that one. Yeah, I think there's one thing Surely... I've learned is you can't curate children's tastes. I think they'll just find what they like and uh, be done with whatever you're... You're going to try though, aren't you, with these Bond films? Well, they're just la- Dine of the Day. Dine of the Day is the way to do it. a good one to start with, yeah. But then it's torture at the start of that one as well. But these true. These two are laughing because me, me and my daughters watched Robin and Marion, the Sean Connery <laughs> film, the other week. <laughs> it was just on E4 nice. or Film 4 and I put it on and they were both like really like taken with it, asking lots of questions about it so um yeah they... you can never kind of guess which ones they're going to latch on to really and it's it's always quite surprising which i suppose is is good you know again i we can obviously all remember being kids and it's that thing of you sort of want to like be nudged in the right direction but there comes a time when if your mum or dad is saying oh you should really watch this you're like, i don't want to like i want to discover it by myself and then i'll think it's really cool and then i'll tell you about it and and then you can be if you're me like oh yes i've interviewed daniel craig don't you know um <laughs> <laughs> which I wouldn't do, obviously. Maybe a little bit. Uh, before, I'm, I'm aware that you might need to wrap up soon. And my other Bond nugget that uh, I don't think you... You might know, Tom, but you maybe don't, is that I got married at Pinewood Studios. Interesting. Wow. did not know that. Yeah. You're the second, How was that? You're the second person we've had on the po- podcast that didn't, yeah. didn't Mark get married at pa- Pinewood as well. Yeah, he said yeah. that. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. So it's licensed for civil weddings and... Um, it's brilliant. So you can then get drunk and wander around Goldfinger <laughs> and, Avenue and enjoy. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it, enjoy the is it where the gardens are? Is, Cause they're, they're the gardens from, from Russia with love, I think, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is incredible. So we're going to put you on the spot, Natalie, just before we wrap up. But and who do you think should be the next James Bond? Well, I have, so in my other fledgling career, um, I've, so I've written a book and I've, I'm writing my second fiction book and obviously hopefully these are going to go on to be bestsellers in their own rights but in my first book which has yet to be sold I've got a literary agent it's not like I'm just shooting in the dark totally um, but I have a Bond theme a little bit throughout that book and the at the end spoiler alert if you ever read my as yet unpublished book um they announce the next james bond um so i obviously may have to re-edit this depending on timing of when all this happens but i have it as dev patel oh great mm. shout yeah that is a great shout yeah. i'll take that yeah 100 percent. i always yeah yeah i think they'll definitely go uh non non-white british next time i think they have to i think it's the time yeah i mean i think it's obviously you just want the best actor who's going to embody that character and I think Dev Patel is just a brilliant actor and you know you I can absolutely see him in the Bond world but in a very modern way as well and doing his own thing and and again you know like we sort of were saying earlier on if you're looking at it as each actor that comes almost brings his own sort of sub-genre of the franchise with him with the style and the playfulness or not of the movies that he does I'd be really intrigued to see how Dev Patel handles that and what he brings to the role. This isn't like the last chapter of your book, is it? And it's going to become a bestseller in two months' time. And anyone who listens to this is suddenly going to be very upset. 
<laughs> no, I, I think it's more that um, uh, the book world, from what I can gather, appears to move very slowly. So it's more that by the time probably my book, if once it gets sold, um, then will come out, I may be really out of date and I'll have to choose somebody else because <laughs> either they'll have... Because like when, so when I was trying to work out when will they announce, like it's got to be presumably that the next film's already been written or being written and they've mm. had all these conversations and they always say that they don't discuss it until the last one is is out the door but i don't believe that can't i think they will have like they can't they will have yeah. spoken to them but they must have been riling up for this by the time that yeah the time that i was originally yeah. meant to come out it might yeah. have been around yeah. this time that you'd have found out the rumor um, is that phoebe, phoebe waller bridge is being brought in to write the next one on her own um because of the great work she did polishing the script on the latest one which would be fantastic mm-hmm. and you yeah. know really interesting to see what what mm-hmm. came of that um but the ideal scenario would be that they announce it next year for the 60th anniversary in 2022 daniel craig is is out the door they can say that there's a new bond film coming in two yep. years time at amazon hopefully it's no, no time to die actually comes out this year um well so so just to recap what what are, who do all you three think then oh god <laughs> I'd, I would like the, but the, when we discussed it I said I'd quite like Jamie mm. Bell just because I think it'd be interesting and a nice change I don't want it to be anyone like an no. existing Bond or a Bond that's been I thought Jamie Bell was a nice way to, to tackle it I think he's at the right age now to do it an interesting well having seen the Snake Eyes trailer recently I, I quite like the idea of Henry Golding being the next James Bond I think he'd be a great shout um, I think he looks good in a tux and He's young enough yeah. and unknown enough, I think, to to take it and make it his own. So, I think maybe yeah. Luke Luke Evans might get the nod. Is it, um, this is my, my, this isn't you were saying Piers Brosnan should come back last time we discussed this. <laughs> that's still no, that's still my preference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brosnan back well, for in, another in some kind of meta Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade way. <laughs> like Piers um, Brosnan. The conversation bad, got yeah. very confusing. It <laughs> spiraled, and I don't even know what it ended up as. Um, yeah I mean it's, I think it's hard isn't it like I I also think that David Oyelowo would be brilliant but he might have already I mean he's only like 45-ish I think but he's probably aged out possibly mm-hmm. if you're looking for somebody quite a lot younger he's going to have a bit more tenure on it so you know then you look at people who are doing brilliant work right now like Daniel Kaluuya as well um, who I also think would bring something very different to the role um, but I don't know I think it'll be fascinating. I think it's great that they're fans of the movies and even like the public at large who maybe are less invested in movies than some of us have a general interest, a proper interest in who it's going to be. Um, and yeah, I I imagine it's going to be somebody who is not white. Yeah, I think so. Daniel Kaluuya would be fantastic. And he's the right age as well, isn't he? He's the right sort of, if yeah. you think about having a long, long term. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to good. Dev, Dev Patel. Don't don't rule him out. I, yeah. It'll be good for yeah. my book. I think he's a great shout because I think he's the right level of fame for them to not have to break break the bank to get him in at the start and then build him up from there. I think he's sort of, mm. I think he's a really interesting interesting choice. Um, right, um, Natalie, where can people find you if they want to follow you online and keep up to date with what you're doing? And you get some scintillating chats about my kids, often about my cats, because I have four cats as well. Um, sometimes random facts about Dolly Parton and others. Uh, yeah, uh, so on Twitter, I am at 
nat underscore jameson and jameson is j-a-m-i-e-s-o-n um do listen to the bestsellers podcast you can just find it wherever you get your podcasts so you can obviously do that because you're listening to this um so yeah, it's just called bestsellers all one word and there's some fantastic authors that we've had on in the past year so people like linda laplante and michael connelly lee child we've spoken to um we've got some brilliant ones coming up this series as well uh dawny walton and zakia delilla harris uh, a whole range of books so yeah every, hopefully every genre is covered in there um and yes the aforementioned anthony horowitz will be back on this season as well of bestsellers so i'll get some more bond knowledge for you hopefully i am on instagram as well but i tend not to use it because I hate doing selfies, so I never went down that route. So it just exists for pictures of cakes that I make and my cats, <laughs> which I think is quite niche. Um, and so, yeah, I don't really update it. Occasionally there's like some celebrities in there as well. So yeah, cakes, cats and celebrities, if that's like floats your boat, <laughs> then look at some really out of date Instagram. That's fantastic. Yeah, we will um, get your cat updates um, on there for sure. <laughs> um, where can people find us on, on social media, Brendan? at James Bond A to Z that's on Instagram Twitter and Facebook and if they want to email the show weekly uh, podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk easy to remember well thank you so much for taking the time to do this Natalie we really appreciate it and thank yeah. you for spilling the beans on Mr Daniel Craig he's been a fascinating character to dive into um, so uh, yeah we really appreciate Always. it you're welcome and hopefully I'd love to come back I mean this is probably like in what eight years time when you get to S for songs yes and for Monroe you're coming back oh yeah I can come back for Monroe I can do that but also like Bond themes I have many opinions so we can talk about that next time oh god that's a whole show in itself isn't it definitely um, yeah right thank you very much for listening uh, James Bond AZ will return uh, next week thanks a lot ciao bye <laughs> James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingemels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.